The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to talk with you today about the final transaction. The final transaction. Let's pray. Lord, you are the king of heaven and earth. You came as that baby in the manger, but today you're the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Lord, we come to worship you and to acknowledge that you are the Lord, the master, the king. And I'm asking, Lord, if you would move in the hearts of each person listening today that would cause them to now make that final transaction with you. Lord, thank you. I come praising and worshiping you. My heart is filled with joy because you are the Lord and your love is so overflowing, your mercy and your kindness and your goodness. Lord, thank you. Lord, we come to make that final transaction with you today. We come in your name, Jesus, and by your precious blood. I pray in your name. Amen. There is a final transaction that we must make with Jesus. It will not be easy. In fact, It will for most be very painful and very difficult. It may be bloody. We live in an age in America and in everywhere in the world where this westernized Christianity has spread like poison. We live in a time when the gospel is defined as... My sins are forgiven. But that's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus primarily came to do. On Sunday, as we were speaking about this in the fellowship at the National Prayer Chapel, one of the men brought a text to us, a passage. I want to read it to you. It's found in Acts, the third chapter. Verse 26, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him as a blessing to you by turning away each one of you from your sinfulness. Or the NIV puts it, by turning each one of you away from your wicked ways literal translation, your sinfulness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not that your sins are forgiven, even though that's a part of it, but the whole of it. He came to bless you by turning you away from your sinfulness and giving you a complete victory over the flesh, over the devil, over the world, over your wicked ways. 
He came to transform you into a new creature, something that had never been seen before, something unique and beautiful, total victory. Now, there are a number of places in Scripture where this final transaction is spoken of in very concrete terms. For Job, it was being covered with boils, having his family taken, his children. He lost everything. He lost his dignity, his strength, his health, his family, his reputation. He lost everything. And finally, at that point, God came to him and said, Do you know where I store the thunder and the lightning? Job, do you know how the earth was placed in heaven? Do you know? Do you know? And finally, all Job could say is, I repent in dust and ashes. I repent. And God restored him and gave him back double. Then there was King David and Bathsheba. Utter, utter wickedness, sexual impurity, adultery, murder. But in the mercy of God, David repented and the Lord forgave him. The story I want to share with you today gives us some very key pieces for how we make this final transaction with God. We look first in the book of Genesis, chapter 32. It is the story of Jacob. Remember, he made a a deal with God as he was running from his brother who wanted to murder him from Esau. He lay down in the, in the desert using a stone for his pillow. And God came to him, a ladder stretching from earth to heaven, angels ascending and descending. Later, we learn that that was Jesus, the The angels were ascending and descending on Jesus. Jesus is the ladder between heaven and earth. There is no other ladder between heaven and earth. There's no other way for a man to be saved but through Jesus Christ. Now, he makes a deal with God. If you will... Give me food to eat and clothes to wear. Shelter over my head. I'll give you 10%. Not a very good deal for God, who was going to provide everything. And he then went for 20 years to work for Uncle Laban and learn the hard way. How hard the physical situation is the human physical situation, 
nights spent taking care of somebody else's sheep. Cold, bitter labor. But finally, God releases him from Laban and said, Go home. Take your family. Well, Jacob means heel grabber. So he grabbed at his flocks. He grabbed at his wives. He grabbed at their children. And he ran from Uncle Laban, not telling Uncle Laban he was leaving. Why? He was afraid that Uncle Laban would keep him from going and take everything from him and he would lose everything. He was interested in prosperity. There are many in the church today who are Jacob's grabbing what they can grab, grabbing that next opportunity, grabbing those dollars, grabbing that prestige, grabbing that self-righteousness. That was Jacob. Jacob makes his way with all of his wealth on the hoof. He makes his way toward the promised land. And as he approaches, he is greeted by angels of God who came to meet him. He acknowledges that this is truly the land of the Lord. He sent word to Esau that he was on his way. And, of course, Esau loads up his 400 men, his army, and he goes to meet Jacob. Jacob is told that Esau is coming with 400 men armed. He's terrified. He believes that they're going to come and kill him and take his wives captive and take his children, take all of his goats and sheep, camels and donkeys. So he prays, O God of my father Abraham. Now, please, this is a polite church prayer. You've all heard polite church prayers, haven't you? You may have prayed a few. I have. They don't touch God's heart. They don't elicit a response from God. They just are said to make you feel better. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. See, Jacob is still all about prospering. He's a heel grabber. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have two groups Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he'll come and attack me and the mothers and the children. But you said I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted. You see, Jacob's heart is to be blessed by God. But I shared with you that passage in Acts where it says that God came Jesus came to earth to bless us by turning us from our wicked ways. He did not come to make us prosperous. He did not come to give us success. He did not come to make us to make us wealthy. Now there's nothing wrong with money. 
Money is a tool that is to be used for the building of the kingdom of God. But the human heart lusts after indulgence, self-indulgence, comfort, freedom to go with whatever the passions of my heart might happen to be, the sexual passions, the, the lust for things, the lust for for people to think I'm tremendous. So he is frightened. He has said his prayer, but he doesn't believe God has even heard his prayer. He believes that God helps those who help themselves. It's up to him. And so the scripture tells us that he selected gifts for his brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams and 30 female camels and their young and 40 cows and 10 bulls and 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. You understand, this is a huge amount of money. This is a fortune. And he says to these to these men who will take the droves of cattle. He said, keep each herd by itself. Go ahead of me and keep some space there. When my brother Esau asks you, to whom do these belong? Tell them they belong to your servant Jacob, and they are a gift sent to my lord Esau. He's coming behind us. He also instructed the second and the third and all the others who followed the herds. You're to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say your brother Jacob is coming behind us. For he thought. He thought. He thought. Human wisdom. He thought I will pacify him with these gifts that I'm sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. That night, Jacob took his two wives, his two maidservants, his eleven sons, And he sent them across the Jabbok, a stream. And after he'd sent them across and all of his possessions, Jacob was left alone. Now, if you're going to make this final transaction, you're going to have to let go of all that you own. God doesn't have grandkids. He doesn't He doesn't let you enter into his presence because you belong to so and so or such and such a church. No, if you're going to make this final transaction, and I'll describe what it is in just a moment, you're going to have to let go of everything. He had to send his wives, his children, his animals, they all had to be sent across the brook, and he is now left alone in the dark. 
he's left alone. Now, many of us have spent a great deal of time and energy trying to not be alone. We're afraid to be alone. God has made me be very alone much, much of the time in my life. And that was necessary because I would be such a pleaser to others and give way to what they wanted and to what they thought that I would even compromise my own belief. Knowing that, God cut me off. He separated me out to himself. And there he's taught me to not be a pleaser. There he has taught me how to speak honestly what he puts on my heart. Has it been lonely? Yes, many times I've been very, very lonely. Is that okay? Yes, because God has led me to a place where I have to make that final transaction with him. Now, he may not isolate you in quite the same way as he has me, but he will at some point arrange circumstances so that you have no one to depend upon but the Lord. And that's a very difficult process, and some of you have utterly refused that process. You have insisted on keeping your cell phone and your internet. You've insisted on keeping your movies and your video games. You've insisted on keeping friends that you constantly are in touch with via social media. You're never alone. It's God's purpose to finally get you alone. I'll never forget when he told me many years ago, turn your television off. Well, that was my drug of choice. And then he said, when you're in the car, I don't want you to turn your radio on. So he cut off all of the so-called Christian music from me. He has reduced my input dramatically through the years to a point where now it's fasting and prayer, reading of scripture. Most of my personal life has been cut off. Many people in my life I now no longer have in my life. Because God has brought me to a place where I would and have made that final transaction with him. But let me share what that looked like. As he's left alone, suddenly a man grabs him and they begin to physically fight, wrestling blow upon blow, rolling in the dust, filth, dirt, pain. He's sure it must be his brother Esau or one of his powerful soldiers come to kill him. He fights for his life. He wants to live. 
as he battles with this man, it consumes his strength. Jacob is a very, very powerful man. May I say this, please? God wants to grab you. And there's a fight that must be taking place between you and God. Now, the fight is not about Jesus. The fight is about you. This fight was not about about God. It wasn't about the pre-incarnate Jesus who came to wrestle with Jacob. Jacob thought his enemy was Esau, but his enemy was not Esau, it was God. And the battle's on. Well, what might that battle look like for you? Most of the time, the American church is concerned with, okay, my sins are forgiven, I'm good to go, I'll always be a sinner. No. The scripture and read Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. Read Galatians, read Ephesians. Read Jude, First and Second Peter. You'll find that the whole issue is God wants to separate you from your sin. He cannot save you if you are not separated from your sin. If you're still involved in that sexual impurity, if your heart is still filled with bitterness, if you have cut people off in your rage, in your bitterness, in your judgments, you can't be saved until you have fought through that with Jesus and you have forgiven and made restitution. The fight is on. And God positions us in such a manner that we come to an utter end of ourselves, where we finally recognize, I don't have the power, I don't have the ability to overcome this lust that comes upon me, this lust for money, the anger at being unsuccessful, the the rage at how other people are treating me. I don't have any power over this. It consumes my soul. Oh, yes. You can pray and God will release you, maybe from alcoholism. God will give you a release from many different sins. But then, essentially, in the heart. See, my great struggle has not been in my life with alcoholism or with some addiction. My struggle has been with my ways. My struggle has been with with who I am at heart. And this is what God wants to grab a hold of us in the dark when we're by ourselves. And the fight is on. Will you or will you not break that 
illicit relationship where you are shacked up with that woman who is not your wife. Will you or will you not leave that relationship where you're with a man you're not married to? Will you or will you not give up your judgments and your anger and your lust for money, for wealth? Oh, I'm going to use the wealth for the kingdom of God. Come on, get real with me. I watch men who say, I'm a committed Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. I am I know I have to be holy before God. And then they spend exorbitant amounts of money on their new car or their new truck or their their new hobby. Filled with pride, with self. And they justify it. All kinds of reasons why I had to do that. It was a good deal. I needed it. Really? You know, we can convince ourselves of almost anything we want to convince ourselves of. We can fool ourselves to justify our actions. Well, the battle's on. Jacob is fighting tooth and nail. Punching, kicking, rolling in the dirt. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. Jacob would not stop fighting for his lust. Jacob would not stop fighting for his right to grab what he wanted to grab in life. He was not willing to give up the fight. And then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. But now his hip is thrown out. It's very painful. And in the pain, he finally recognizes he's wrestling with someone from heaven. That's a great understanding for a man or woman to come to. I had a a precious woman who was in court today fighting for custody of her child. And she wrote to me asking me to pray for her today, and I said, yes, I will. You know what I prayed? I prayed that God's will would be done and that he would deliver this precious woman. This woman is fighting with God. She said, I don't know what's happening in my life. Why Why is all this happening to me? Because you're fighting with God. Because God has got you in a place where you're finally willing to fight. 
You're willing to wake up and recognize that you better fight or you're going to die. Many people fight to the death and then they're gone and they turn bitter and angry and resentful at what life is dishing out to them. No, God has you. This is God. Nothing can touch your life except the Lord allows it to come. I know today that many painful circumstances in my life took place because I would not be still before God. I kept fighting for what I wanted, for my success, for my relationship, for my deal. I kept fighting for it. I'm not a a man who gives up. I'm going to fight for it. But finally, when your hip is wrenched and you're in such anguish and pain, you can't fight anymore. Now, Jacob says something that I will forever love him for. This is found in Genesis 32. Genesis 32, verse 26. Then the man said, Let me go, for it's daybreak. And Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. In other words, I will not let you go unless you turn me from my wicked ways. Acts 3.26 The blessing of God comes to turn us from our wicked ways. One of you wrote to me, admitting sexual immorality, lust. And you said, Pastor, I keep turning back to it time after time. I don't have the victory. Now I want you to hear this. Sin is like a spider web. It's all interconnected in your soul. If you're going to gain the victory, there's only one way to gain that victory. And that is to come to a point where you say, I can't overcome my sin. I cannot deal with my wicked ways. I am powerless against this. And then, in the fight with God, you finally say, Lord, I won't let you go until you bless me. And you begin to cling to Jesus. Now, we'll speak later this week about the necessary process. But let me just summarize it in a very quick statement. When you say to God, I will not let you go unless you bless me, you're saying, I am willing finally to die. Sin is overcome only by amputation. 
Sin is overcome only by dying to it. Where you finally cut it off and say, enough is enough. I'm out of here. I'm not going to walk in this wicked way any longer. But it's not just dealing with one sin. God doesn't come and want to deal with just one sin in your life. He wants to come and do a clean sweep of your whole life. He wants to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways, from your sinfulness. He wants to give you total victory to make you into a new creature in Christ Jesus. So Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is where I am in my process with Jesus. I've said to him, Lord, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Luke 11 gives us the promise of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost power that we might be fruitful for the Lord. I want to be fruitful for the Lord. I want to bring forth a great harvest of salvation among the lost and the dying. I want you to be turned from your wicked ways. I want you to be blessed by Jesus. So I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, I won't let you go until you bless me. Now, if we look at first, I'm sorry, second Peter, the first chapter. Second Peter, the first chapter. The way we participate in the divine nature is through the promises of God. The only way you're going to access those promises is to go through the battle with your unbelief and your lust and your pride and your anger. That's what the fight is all about. I've been praying for a precious couple. She's very sick and will not live long if there is not a divine intervention. I've been spending time before the Lord praying for she and her husband, who's a pastor. I know that they are not going to be successful in their intercession for her if both of them do not come through this battle and finally just cling to Jesus and give up all human possibilities, all entrepreneurial possibilities, and recognize that only Jesus Christ, by his shed blood, can heal her of her very serious medical situation. The doctors cannot help her. Oh, they can help with this and that. But essentially, she's dying. And so I've been saying, Lord, make them both conscious of the battle that they are involved in and bring them to a total end of themselves. Humble them and make them small before you. 
Their hip has been touched. They are disabled. He still wants to go for big and better. She still wants to go for somebody who can give her some relief. Only Jesus can give her the relief. It's a terrifying thing to fight with God. Obviously, our arms are too short to box with him. Many of you have tried and failed and finally just given up and said, okay, I'll believe what the modern church teaches. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to always be a sinner until I die. If you take that posture in the end, you will be hell-bound. The modern church is apostate. It has lied to you. All sin is going to have to be overcome. Sin, harmatia, missing the mark. No, rebellion, voluntary rebellion against God. All sin, all self has to be laid aside. And we must cling to Jesus and say, Lord, I will not let you go if you don't bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. But most of us are able to avoid the painful fight with God, keeping people around us, keeping ourselves positive by engaging in things that distract our attention, playing the video games, watching the media, going to the movies, working hard for money, exhausting ourselves, trading our precious life blood for lifestyle and money. The Lord is bringing America to a place where he is touching our hip. He is going to totally disable America with his judgments on our finances, on our lifestyle. And America as a nation will be destroyed unless it turns and clings to Jesus. America cannot continue in its wicked ways. America cannot continue in its race-baiting Antifa, Black Lives Matter, homosexuality, every kind of perversion, lust for money, power, prestige. America will be destroyed if it does not repent. America was designed by God to be a Christian nation. The values America was established on were from the Judeo-Christian ethic. Either we're going to return to that, or we will be destroyed in the fight with God, and most will not even recognize that it was God who brought this judgment upon America because of our wickedness, our murder of the babies. You know, the most unsafe place in America today is in the womb of a mother. The horrid, despicable, evil 
practice of abortion must be stopped in America. Now, you can argue with me, but I'm telling you, America has to come to a place of humility where it clings to God and says, I won't let you go until you bless me. Now, out of that, Jesus asks Jacob, what is your name? He answers, Jacob, heel grabber. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Now, Jacob foolishly asks him, well, what's your name? Well, why do you ask me your name? And then Jesus blesses Jacob. And Jacob said, I'm going to call this place Penel, meaning the face of God. It's because I saw the face of God face to face, and my life was spared. It is God's face that we must seek, not his hand. It is the face of God we must seek. Now Jacob rises up, and he goes to meet his brother Esau. He's limping. He's dirty. He's bloody. He's fought all night. And as he goes to meet his brother, he throws himself down on the ground seven times. Jacob is finally a humble man. In humility, he bows before his brother, recognizing he has wronged his brother. He humbles his heart. And Esau runs and grabs Jacob in a great embrace. And he kisses him, and he weeps over him. <clears throat> Together they stand crying. These powerful men, they stand weeping because God has blessed Jacob and turned him from his wicked ways of being a heel grabber. Jacob is transformed. He's a new man. Now, please understand. You're going to have to fight it out with Jesus. It's not going to be quick and it's not going to be easy. It's taken me a lot of time to finally come to the understanding that the real battle is not with other people. It's with God. And it's with me. And I've been through such painful, painful experiences, humbling experiences, where I've lost everything. Where I finally come and say, Lord, I can't do it. I don't have the wisdom, the strength, the ability. I can't do what you've called me to do as a pastor in America. I can't do it. 
As a revivalist, I can't do it. I have no ability to do it. Lord, will you bless me? I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And I've told the Lord, Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I know I have to be at the utter end of myself, and that's where I am. And I now wait for the Lord's blessing, for the baptism of Pentecost. I know the futility of going out in my human strength, trying to create something for God. I know God can can do more in one day than I could do in my entire lifetime. I know everything is possible with Jesus. Some of you today may be involved in that battle. And you recognize it's bloody and bitter. And you feel like a total failure. The success does not come by overcoming. The success comes by clinging to Jesus and saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. Were you finally willing to die to yourself, to your wickedness, to your flesh? Were you finally willing to say, okay, God, Please bless me. Please turn me from my wicked ways. Please bless me with the Holy Spirit Pentecost power. Please bless me. The blessing of God is always the same. To turn us from our wicked ways so that he can empower us to serve him. To love him to love others, to give up our pride and our anger and our rebellion, to give up all known sin, cut off because you're dead. You died to it. You can't live in it any longer. You're a new person in Christ Jesus. When you take that posture, Lord, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And you cut everything off and you're alone. You can't make this decision with your wife or your husband or your children, with your boss, with friends. This is between you and Jesus. Only you know the depth of the wickedness of your own heart. And you must come to that place where you say, okay, I'll now make the final transaction with God. I will cling to him. I have fought until I can fight no more. I will cling to him. And I will say, I will not let you go until you bless me. Lord, bring each of us to that place where we finally say, okay, I will not let you go till you bless me. I have failed. And only you can wash me and make me clean.
Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. Well, we're out of time for this broadcast. Thank you for listening. Please share it with others. Post it on your social network sites. Subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. And just a brief note, we're coming now the last week of this month. And we're still about $1,700 short of being able to pay for radio for this month. If this broadcast is a blessing to you and you would like to do a special Thanksgiving offering, would you do that? I'd like to be able to finish this month with the cost covered so we can continue next month. And I want to thank those of you who have given so generously. Some of you even doubled your offering this month. Thank you. Thank you very much for walking with me and being a brother and a sister with me. You can write to me by by writing to the National Prayer Chapel. National Prayer Chapel. 2346 Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 You can also go to our webpage and give online nationalprayerchapel.com nationalprayerchapel.com I love you, my brother. It's not been an easy message today, but I pray it's helped you. I'll talk to you soon.